Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Tennis Podcast, live from Wimbledon. On day 14 of the championships, our final podcast where we will be digesting what we have just witnessed, which is Carlos Alcaraz, 20 years of age, becoming a two-time Grand Slam champion, a first-time Wimbledon champion, coming back from losing the opening set 6-1 to 23-time Grand Slam champion Novak Djokovic to win 1-6, 7-6, 6-1, 3-6, 6-4 in four hours and 42 minutes. We're thinking of this as kind of a group talking therapy session. This is us all together processing what on earth we've just seen and experienced over the course of this afternoon. Yeah, I think that's well put because I don't feel like I felt like this for a long, long time because of, well, the intensity of the match, the length of the match, the ups and downs, the people involved, the age difference between them, the achievements of Djokovic, the excitement of our crowds being realised in front of the crowd, in front of the nation, in front of the world. And it's, it's meaning. It's meaning, we don't know what it'll mean for the future, but we certainly know what it means for the present, which is something that I don't think many saw coming. And our crowds has just made it so. Um, and, I, and I've felt like that before when Nadal finally beat Federer um, in 2008 here. Um, there have been probably others, but this is similar in terms of just magnitude. Maybe not as consistently as an incredible a match, but in spells. Oh, I, just, I was I'm almost lost for words. <laughs> not great for a podcast, David. Well, do do stay with us. I'll work into it. <laughs> Matt, words. Uh, word. I mean, the main main thing that comes to mind, honestly, is that. Carlos Alcaraz is even better than I thought he was. You know, like, we knew he was good. And we knew that he would he would win loads of Grand Slam titles. But I didn't know that he was ready to, to beat Novak Djokovic in the final at Wimbledon over five sets on the court that he hasn't lost on in ten years. Like, 
I just didn't know if he was ready. And <laughs> after the first set, it, it didn't seem <laughs> like he was. And then just the most astonishing, astonishing victory from Carlos Alcaraz. And yeah, really, it just feels significant. You know, it feels like we've been we've been desperately trying to make next gen happen you know but <laughs> until one of these guys beat Novak Djokovic or Rafa Nadal on their patch in a Grand Slam final it wasn't happening really but now it actually feels like you know I don't think Novak Djokovic is going to go away I really don't but it feels like a big shift a, the sort of baton passing moment or the start of that baton passing moment that people have been Sort of, I don't know whether hoping for or thinking might happen for years. I feel like this, this was it. We will look back on this match as the moment. You've just disappointed everybody that had changing of the guard in their tennis podcast drinking game. <laughs> <laughs> some some people might have had baton passing. Um, there are kind of macro takes on this and there are micro takes on this, aren't we? I feel like because there were so many chapters to this story, I feel like we should maybe go through set by set and try and tell the story and of course we have to start with the first set both because of that's how chronology works (laughs) and also because it just feels so significant in the story of this match the fact that Carlos Alcaraz went from sarcastic applause to Wimbledon champion okay it took him five hours but not sarcastic applause sympathetic applause in that opening set he was five love down he got sympathy applause for winning a game. Yeah, and it was very reminiscent. You made the point of Sinner in the previous match against uh, Djokovic. Um, it was incredibly similar to Nadal coming in as a 6-1 head-to-head leader against Roger Federer and losing the first set 6-love in their 2006 final, which he made a match of. And that's what I was expecting this to turn into is a match I didn't expect it to be turned around. Not like that. I, and that's where I think Alcaraz has shown he's better than even we thought because we, sh- we saw the, the competitor in him as well, the, the champion, as well as the mind-blowing moments. But I think one of the other reasons it's good to go set by set is because we all had different vantage points of this match. I'm court level on commentary. I wasn't on commentary for that first set. And actually, it went so quickly, I didn't have time to go and get get lunch. (laughs) David just had lunch about eight minutes ago. (laughs) Um, So I thought I was starting to panic a bit because it's suddenly three love in about about 12 minutes. I mean, Alcross did have that one break point, didn't he, in the first game, but he didn't take it. And then it just started to trundle away from him. And I thought, this is classic Djokovic. He's just stamping his champion authority on this now. And then the stat comes out. The stat that you always... I always say, Matt, what's the stat about <laughs> Novak Djokovic winning the first set? And, of course, that stat is up to and ends today. Novak Djokovic at Grand Slams has won 104 sets, uh, 104 matches in a row when he wins the first set at Grand Slams. And you roll that out and you just think, no chance. I don't even care who it's against. Mm. Matt, you watched these first two sets from the incredible press box seats just just meters away from Brad Pitt were you mm. able to concentrate at all or should we just <laughs> should we just talk about the back of Brad's head Jay, 
genuinely took me a while to spot him. You know, I, I knew he was in the crowd because obviously his picture was everywhere. And I just suddenly there was a little gap, and I thought, "Oh, that's Brad Pitt." I could almost reach out and touch him. Brad. I didn't. Hello. <laughs> I thought I thought for a moment that you were actually saying hello to someone that may or may not have been Brad Pitt, as you were, man. I was just doing what I would have done in the same position, but I didn't get seen. He actually to see him. had a designated security guard to prevent people going to get selfies with him, which. Fair enough, to be honest. He's trying to enjoy a tennis match. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, very important not ever to be famous because it looks dreadful, <laughs> yeah. honestly. Like, four and a half hours later, at the end of the match, I was held back from leaving centre court while Brad Pitt made his, his exit. Wasn't yeah, allowed and, anywhere near um, him. And Woolley texted the chat, did you get a selfie? And Matt said, no, he didn't ask. Oh, what a stick <laughs> No, it was a okay. brilliantly quick <laughs> moment. Dynamite. Anyway, first set, <laughs> impressions, Matt. How how bad was Alcaraz? Do you know, I felt like he started okay, as as David mentioned. He had that break point in that, in that first game, which is exactly what Sinner had, and then didn't didn't take it and then lost his serve which again was exactly what happened to Sinner um, I think he was he was overhitting a lot uh, he looked rushed to me mm. by by Novak Djokovic and it was pretty much peak Novak Djokovic I mean we don't need to wax lyrical about his return of serve we've done that on, on the podcast and people have done that for years we know that his return of serve is incredible but in this set in particular he just seemed to be constantly reading the Alcaraz serve and putting the return back on his toes rushing him and it it felt to me like we've watched Alcaraz figure out grass over the last few weeks you know Queens and and the first six matches here at Wimbledon but it felt like oh okay but he still hasn't figured out Djokovic Mm. you know and it, it just it was it was a continuation of some of the dominance that that Novak Djokovic displayed in that first set in, in Roland Garros. It, it just he was just able to make Alcaraz uncomfortable, make him make him take risks. You know, Novak Djokovic was so solid from the baseline. He was everything was within himself. He's if Carlos Alcaraz is the most explosive mover, then Novak Djokovic is the most efficient. I think, and he was just everywhere. And honestly, it was a it was a real mismatch in in that first set. And I completely agree with what David's just said for. For Carlos Alcaraz to turn that around is one of the most extraordinary things I've seen on a tennis court because of Novak Djokovic's record after winning that first set. It's, it, it almost says everything when Djokovic wins that first set. You can almost pencil him in to win the match and Alcaraz turned it round. Yeah, a couple of notes from sort of what was going on at the end of that set. One is that Alcaraz just told us in his on-court interview that he told himself after losing that first 6-1, six, six, Carlos, increase the level or everyone will be disappointed. Oh. And that made me think of what Billy Jean King always say, says, which is, the crowd aren't there for us, we're there for the crowd. And she always mm. wishes that more players would see it like that. And Carlos Alcaraz wanted to win for himself today, but he also has this incredible recognition of his responsibility to entertain and carry the sport and... It was it was such a revealing little line, and P.S. He did so well. I mean, they both did, obviously, but so well in that on-court interview because his English isn't at the fluency of Novak Djokovic's. His vocabulary and ability to express himself is a lot more limited, and yet he still got himself across mm. so well. And I thought that was brilliant. The other thing is, I noticed um, 
a lot of shots of the respective boxes, player boxes, at the end of that first set. And I was so taken by how chilled the Alcaraz box looked, particularly Alcaraz's dad. Now, I know this is the luxury of your son being 20 years old and a phenom, but they just had the vibe of, like, it's okay. It's okay for us and for you if you don't win this. We'll be back here plenty of times in the future. They were never too high, never never too low. They never showed any signs of stress, and they thus didn't project that onto Carlos. And I know we talk a lot about how healthy the behind-the-scenes vibe seems to be for Alcaraz, but that just felt like such an, an illustration of that for me. Yeah, and, and, it, and it's an important talking point because for a lot of players, that isn't the case. And so often we talk about bad vibes from a box translating onto the court yeah absolutely so David this is where you take over because could you please hold up for the camera and apologies to to anybody listening on the podcast but David is holding up a sort of Russell Crowe a beautiful mind type (laughs) piece of paper with his notes from his second set commentary on there David scale of one to ten how much fun did you have commentating for BBC Radio on the second set of this match? I, I know that I stand guilty of recency bias, but I walked back in. I had to leave the commentary box after the set was finished to go and eat cake. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not turning. I'm not joking. The reason is because I get. I, I did an hour and twenty-four minutes of commentary. And you know what I get like at the best of times, but on that we set, do, um, I, 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 I was more exhausted than the players. Is that how <laughs> I felt? And I was lightheaded. I went back and I hadn't had, my, had my, my lunch, so I, off I went back to to the BBC Radio green room and I ate four slices of cake and two cups of tea. It's lovely. Um, and when I, anyway, oh, the point I'm, I'm trying to get to is I walked back into that room and all the producers the, were there. Having a sugar rush. Yeah, the producers were there and they just said, how was that? And I said, I've been doing this for 20 years. I have, that is the best set of commentary that I've had the privilege to cover in my career. And I'm sure there are, look, there are so many others that have been similarly great, but w- what this had was the length it had the closeness all the way through um it had the significance uh being a Wimbledon final um it had a record going you know we've already talked about the 104 matches in a row that Djokovic has won at Grand Slams from a setup and he'd won 15 tie breaks in a row this year and we talked in our previous show, that quote from Jonathan Overend, just imagine if Alcaraz won the first tiebreak of the match. Imagine what that, would, that could do to it. And that sort of stayed with me. And so that happened. Um, and then you have the significance of if Alcaraz doesn't win that set, it's two sets to love and probably the match is over. So then you're left with one set all and everything's perfectly poised. But so to me, I think... It, it will really stand out in my whole career as one of the best, if not the best, set. Hopefully I did it justice, but certainly in terms of what I got to witness. But then my notes here, I, I don't really write notes very often, and, I, and it's probably 
a failing of mine that I don't. It, it shows. Um, I'm not great at them. Um, <laughs> but I was concentrating very hard as I was writing every well, single point scored out. Are they in shorthand or are they... Matt, can to you be understand honest, them? It's basically scores. It's just right. scores, but then I've written little words next to a couple of points. Like in the first game like, wow. on the Alcaraz um, third point, I've written great Cake. half folly. Right. And he holds. But what you get from seeing this is that Alcaraz actually won the first point on every Novak Djokovic service game in that set, which I think is really significant because, and Pat Cash pointed to it in our commentary, that he's just putting pressure on. He's, you know, Usually you feel about pressure, it's the other way around with Novak Djokovic. And I think, look, Djokovic was losing his first serve in that second set. Mm-hmm. The wind was really getting to him. It was buffeting his shirt. He couldn't get the ball tossed right. He kept waiting for it to die down. And I think what you ended up with is he kept taking longer and longer, hoping for the wind to die down, until you got into that pivotal moment in the tie-break when he gets called for, for a time violation as well. And I, and I just feel like it was one of those sets. But even then, halfway through the set, Alcaraz hits a 132-mile-an-hour serve that Djokovic middles back even faster. And at that point, I thought, I don't see how you beat this guy. And the fact that Alcaraz did... One of the great achievements that I've seen on the tennis court. Yeah, I found this second set absolutely fascinating. I felt like if if Alcaraz was going for too much in, in in the first set, I felt like he started to rein it in a little bit. In the second set, his his rally tolerance was better. He was a bit more patient, constructing the rallies a bit better. Started using his slice. Just all really good signs, I think. And as David said, he kept putting this little bits of pressure on the Novak Djokovic serve which is something he wasn't really able to do in in the first set but ultimately it sort of all came down to the tie break of course and something I find so interesting about tennis you know it was a what was an over an hour this set of tennis and yet it feels like it was the tale of three backhands right at the end because Novak Djokovic Matt makes things about backhands always a series <laughs> Novak Djokovic missed the backhand into the net on his set point the next point when it was even in the tie break he missed another backhand into the net Mm. these were rally balls and then Carlos Alcaraz comes up with an absolutely stunning backhand down the line return to win the set which he's done repeatedly throughout this tournament he's he's found that shot when he's needed to and honestly it felt to me like there was some real stress for Novak Djokovic there you know he is such a good reader of a tennis match, I think. I, if he was playing anyone else, I don't think he would have been that stressed about losing that second mm. set. But he, but he knew that Carlos Alcaraz was a different prospect. And that maybe forced him to tighten and he made those errors and he was stressed and he did get called for the time violation, which got greeted with this enormous cheer from... from from the crowd in fact someone said thank you to yeah, the umpire yeah because by that point he was kind of getting trolled for the time he was taken I was hearing the odd sort of cry of time time you know mm. hurry up um, and he there was a, a line on the BBC World Feed commentary that he was averaging 33 seconds between serves now obviously that is over time but Fergus Murphy in the chair wasn't hitting the button. He was giving a little bit of leeway because of the wind and because of the circumstance and all the rest of it, which I think most people are pretty much on board with. But he was pushing it and pushing it and pushing it, wasn't he? And on one hand, I kind of think, well, of course he's going to push it. He hasn't been told off for it. He's, you know, if you're if you're not been penalised up to this point, you're assuming it's okay. 
So I can kind of understand his frustration at getting called for the first time in the tiebreak. But equally, fair enough, you were taking so long. Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, he really was. And, and as David said, a lot of it was just extra bouncing or catching the ball after he'd thrown it up. He was also, he was also, as David said, again, missing a lot of first serves and really collapsing on them. He was having, he was having quite a lot of trouble with his serve in that set. Um, but yeah, I just felt like there was just generally, it was a, kind of the first time all tournament. I don't think we even saw it at Roland Garros, really. We didn't see it at Australian Open. We've been, we've been wanting to see Novak Djokovic pushed and put under some stress and sort of how will he react. And, you know, throughout this match, at numerous times, he responded very, very well, as we would expect. But just at the end of that tie break, he didn't. And he also was 3-0 up in that tie break mm. and lost his mini break. With and a, a set point as well. Yeah. Mm. Lost his mini break with a bad drop shot. You know, it was, it was just little things that we haven't really seen. And I, I have to think that was because of the threat down the other end of the court. And honestly, I had become so convinced, so indoctrinated into the cult of Novak Djokovic tie breaks that I was... Con- su- suddenly, after him losing that tie break, I thought... All bets are off now. If he's broken that rule, then the losing the first set mm. and winning the match rule can can go as well. I really did think that was just enormous. And I do wonder if they, like football teams in knockout events, practising for penalty shootouts, I do wonder if they practised for tie breaks in some way. I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you simulate the... <laughs> pressure and experience of facing Novak Djokovic in a tie break on the practice court but I do just wonder if genius Juan Carlos Ferreiro found some kind of a way and hopefully we will be able to find out over the next few days and bring you bring you updates on that in subsequent shows so it's then a set all and we have the third set won by Carlos Alcaraz 6-1 but that's not the story. <laughs> a 6-1 set for Carlos Alcaraz ain't the story here. The story is the 27-minute 3-1 game, which had 14 juices. Yeah. A, a, a mini epic all in itself. I, I was caught outside the stadium at that <laughs> point, uh, having gone to the loo. David um, heard heard the sounds I d- I did. of the 27-minute game. The commotion down in the bowels of the stadium where people were queuing all around the stadium because they'd gone to the loo and they were trying to get back in and uh, they're just caught and they can't go back in until the change of ends. Yeah. And it's one and of those PS, tennis things. that does suck about it tennis. Does. It does. Really and I really wish tennis would that sort could, that out. That, that could be changed. Yeah. It should be changed. And those people just missed half an hour. Uh, of a game because of that and, and by those and, people he means me and, the, and the, yes me <laughs> but, but what was happening is we we have no screens down there All, the only screen you have is the score but you can hear <laughs> everything the crowd are doing and you can hear everything that Fergus Murphy the umpire is saying so you would you would get advantage <laughs> Oh, Karath, you know, like that. And, and then you'd see, hear this run, and then a reaction, and you'd be like, juice. And then, be, oh, and then people are like, oh, God, you know, I've got to wait again. 
Um, so, yes, that was pretty tense, but you're going to have to tell me what the game was like because I didn't see it. Well, at this point, I did the incredibly noble thing at the start of the third set of giving cameraman Matthew our one centre court ticket to go on and watch. He deserves um, And he was going to get the whole set, but actually came out after that game. He, was, he, he felt like he'd had a whole set worth. <laughs> Matthew, could you sum up that game for us, please? It was long. Long. Long, long he says. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bang on. Yeah. <laughs> Can't argue with that. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, I I felt like in the early stages of, of that third set, I wasn't really noticing Carlos Alcaraz. And that's yeah. that that's an ex, kind of an extraordinary thing because he, you know, you always notice Carlos Alcaraz. He's always doing something extraordinary. <laughs> but it was it was kind of all about... Novak Djokovic I think he really lost his way at the start of that set he was really out of sorts he was he was he was starting to go for too much and make errors that he wouldn't normally make and there was stress on his face he had an argument with the umpire and sort of as this game was going on it felt like okay if Novak Djokovic ends up getting through this game I think he knuckles down and tries to win this set if he loses it, I think he's going to go into conserve energy mode and actually he's, he's going to sort of check out of this set. And that is exactly what happened after it. He, you know, mm. the next time he went to serve, I think he, he was serving volleying and it, was, it just wasn't the sort of Novak Djokovic that we're used to. But this set won Alcaraz, sorry, this game won Alcaraz the set. And I mean, some of the shot making, the back and forth, it was absolutely epic. And just a, just a, reminder of the lengths you have to go to to be able to beat Novak Djokovic you know I'm, I'm sure we'll come on to the fact that you know we'll have big questions about what does this mean for Novak Djokovic going forward I genuinely still think he's going to be such a big threat because I don't think anyone other than Carlos Alcaraz can do this against him mm. you know so many big moments coming back from the first set winning that second set tie break coming through a 27 minute game Alcaraz won all of those moments all of the big moments he managed to win and I just don't think other people can do that. You know, you just back Djokovic always. But l- like you, when Alcaraz had won that second set tie break, when he won this game, I thought, well, what can he do? Mm. You know, he's, he, he's showing that he can, he can go toe-to-toe with Djokovic in big moments and come out on top. And we just, we just don't see that from players that aren't, you know, Rafael Nadal. So it's two sets to one to Alcaraz. David, you're about to... You've been let back in the stadium. Yeah, I got got back in. You're about to take your seat to commentate on set number four. Who does everyone think is winning at this point? Who does everybody think is is the favourite? I I would say it still feels very 50-50 to me Mm. at that point. And I should add that I along with everybody else, had to wait seven minutes for the return of Novak Djokovic from a bathroom break yeah. and a full clothing change. He goes off with his bag. He takes the full allowed amount of time, seven minutes. He returns to the court to a chorus of boos and chants of Carlos, 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 because Alcaraz has kind of emphasised the point of how long this break is taking by, I mean, I think three or four minutes into that break he was standing up he had balls in his hand he was making it very clear let's get this show back on the road here people he was pumping his fist at Carla, uh, Juan Carlos Ferreira even <laughs> yeah. though they weren't starting yet um, <laughs> and, but he immediately went love 30 down mm. in that game I'm again referring to my notes here I feel quite professional <laughs> um, but I mean he really then having served that out he started to ramp up the pressure and you just thought he's not missing 
He's not. He, he's just totally in the zone. For the first five, six games of that set, before he got broken, he was the, the one putting the pressure on. He wasn't missing serves. He wasn't missing returns. Everything was happening for him. There were highlight reel shots included in all that as well. You know, there were moments that we're just looking at each other in the commentary box. Marion Bartoli, Pat Cash and myself and Russell Fuller, we just cannot believe what we're seeing from him except that we have seen it elsewhere. It's just the first time we've seen it at Wimbledon. And I think for Novak Djokovic to, to weather that tells you just what a champion he is because it could easily have been 6-1 Alcaraz. Against anyone else, I yeah. think it's 6-1 for him. Agreed. And Djokovic turned that around. Mm. Yeah, he was unbelievable in that fourth set. He barely missed a return. To be honest, he barely missed a return in the fifth set either I mean he suddenly came back just completely dialed in on the Alcaraz serve and he had his moments of vulnerability on his own serve as well but that two all game breaking for 3-2 at that point I'm putting the odds heavily in Novak Djokovic's Hmm. favour yeah I think the moment for me where I felt like Djokovic became a a favourite really for this match again was uh, when he he blew the kiss oh. to the person in the crowd. I thought, and I sorry, Carlos, it. you've done so well. And you I, don't it, beat it that, no, straight, But how do you beat that guy? Straight out of the Medvedev playbook, <laughs> isn't it? Our very favourite playbook. Yeah, An ironic kiss blown to the crowd oh, is, great. well, it's chef's kiss. Yeah, yeah. Perfection. Yeah, exactly. As after Djokovic had, had saved those break points in in the second game of that set managed to break himself he's blowing a kiss he's got his game back together he's calmed down Alcaraz kind of faded at the end of that set a mm. couple of double faults to hand the set away <sighs> yeah honestly at this point I'm thinking Novak Djokovic is is going to go on to win it David? yeah me too uh, once, once it was two sets all you don't beat this guy from this position he knows how to do this and in the first three games of that deciding set, he did all the Novak Djokovic things. He ramped up the pressure. He made the returns. He put them deep. The difference is that Alcaraz responded. And that was the one period of the match. I know I, I was lucky enough to, to commentate on that incredible second set, but it was those first three mm. to four games of the, of the fifth set when they both played their best tennis at the same time. Mm. And I've been waiting for that. <laughs> it was, and it was just as glorious as you hope it will be. You see all the Novak Djokovic-isms on one side of the court and Alcaraz responding to them with everything he's got. All the talent, all the skill, all the pace, the side-to-side rallies, the return onto the baseline from Djokovic cramping him up, the, res- the, the improvisation from... Alcaraz to respond I just don't think it gets better than that the sort of one shot we should highlight from from that opening stages of the fifth set was the Djokovic swing volley that he missed on on break point and I think if it were if it were, if it were the other way around we would highlight how great Djokovic's defence was to get the ball back and yeah. force Alcaraz to hit an extra shot. In this in this occasion, it was Alcaraz's defence to force Djokovic to hit that volley. I was surprised he didn't let it bounce. Honestly, mm. it was awkward. He didn't really know whether it was going out or not, uh, but he, he chose to hit the swing volley. He went for it down the line, which I think was a harder shot than going cross-court. 
and then the stare he gave to his team after that after he'd missed it he couldn't believe that he had missed that and then some you know he misses it and somehow Alcaraz manages to hold and then Alcaraz breaks in the very next game and it's it's just the exact sort of big moment and momentum shift that we've seen so often go in the favor of Novak Djokovic and it went without with Carlos Alcaraz and yeah he's he's just different Carlos Alcaraz to all the others that have come along trying to trying to push Novak Djokovic out of his position Carlos Alcaraz is different and we saw it at numerous points in this match and I think the start of that fifth set was one of them who wants to talk us through the break of serve? The, what ended up being the decisive break of serve for Alcaraz. I was convinced there'd be another twist in the tail there. Not necessarily that he wouldn't serve it out, but I just couldn't believe that it would be as simple as that on the face of it. But it was. It was decisive. Well, I'm going to ask Matt to describe it because that's when I'd stopped making notes. Because <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't doing that set. Uh, what have I written down? Alcaraz with a point steal for Love 15. Um, big seven forehand for 30. Oh, yes. Yeah. Loose forehand from Djokovic to go break points down. Yeah, there was, there was, a, there was again, there was an unforced error that we weren't expecting there. And then there was this incredible rally where Djokovic fell over midpoint. Managed to get up, kept on, but then came in with a kind of bad approach and Alcaraz passed him with the backhand to get the break. And then we saw real frustration from Novak Djokovic who smashed his racket against the net and the net post and caused some damage to the net post, got a code violation. He was lucky not to get more, I think, though, given the damage that was done. Look, I totally understand the emotions that he was expressing with that action but it's not okay to express them that way. Mm. No, and he he was booed by most of the crowd for that. They they didn't like that. Mm. I mean, it was... I get it. I get the anger. But, you know, there was a real violence and viciousness Mm. to the way he did that. And he just clearly had to get it out of his system. You're not allowed to do it into the court. So, And if he had, he'd have been facing an an absurd fine, you know, a crazily high-level fine, because you just cannot damage the court. I wonder whether doing a bit of a damage to the net post may be something that will will get him an extra fine, not that that he's got too much to worry about financially. Um, But, yeah, I mean, there was shrapnel going everywhere and all the rest of it. I mean, look, I like a racket smash. That that wasn't great. So... Ankara steps up to the line, 5-4. Well, Ooh. I would say the... Um, what was it? Ankara serving at 3-2 was an absolutely pivotal game because it was 15-30 on Ankara's serve mm-hmm. and second serve, Djokovic misses a forehand return. Not something we are used to seeing. And then the very next point, he shanks a forehand out for four, and that gave Ankara's game point. And then Alcaraz hit an ace to get out of that game. And that was probably the one moment in the fifth set where I was really surprised that Djokovic didn't make Alcaraz play or didn't, come, didn't quite come up with the goods where normally he does. Um, and I, think, I think, just think that was an absolutely pivotal game that I would, that I would highlight. I thought Alcaraz played so smart once he got the advantage in that fifth set there were a couple of moments I know serving for the match at 5-4 the opening point of that game he he had a drop shot didn't he and it 
didn't make it over the net and I was thinking oh my goodness I was hearing Matthew's voice in my head going no drop shots come on um I was worried it was a bailout but actually it was it turned out to be really canny the way he was playing shortening the points trying to make allowances for how heavy his arm must have felt well that bit I do remember and because when he put that one halfway up the net and you love 15 against this guy serving for the Wimbledon title when you're 20 I'm assuming we're in choke territory here or we're at least in Novak Djokovic tightening the screw and eventually he just can't cope so for his response to that to be to then hit another drop shot yep. not as not a, a perfect one but one that brought Djokovic in on Alcaraz's terms and then just to Stroll to his right and in a leisurely manner just arc a lob over his head. Mm. A drop shot lob combination. That that is exactly what I mean when I'm always talking about the right side of stubbornness. You know, because he's just Mm. failed with a drop shot on the first point. But drop shots is play. He's good at the drop shots. Don't don't just abandon it just because you've missed it. And he plays it on the next point. He plays it with the forehand rather than the backhand. And then he lobs Novak Djokovic perfectly. And that is... It's the right side. It's, it's belief. It's trust. It's knowing that you can do it. And s- some players have it and some players don't. And Carlos Alcaraz does. And then the rest of the game was just absolute quality as well. He can, oh, can I just tell you that after that drop shot lob combination, Brad Pitt, who would... <laughs> I, I was so struck by... First of all did not take a bathroom break all match oh well done Brad four hours 42 minutes I found that extraordinary respect I took four Uh, um, (laughs) good to know David (laughs) Um, what was I saying about Brad Pitt Um, he he was making such efforts throughout the match to appear neutral to not celebrate too much, to applaud good points, but to not celebrate too much for for any one person or the other. And I get that he had the camera on him yeah. all the time, didn't he? And as I say, it looks absolutely rubbish being really famous. But he couldn't help himself after that drop shot lob. He lost hmm. his mind. Maybe he was bursting for a wee. That does, <laughs> that does weird things mm. to our brains, yeah. doesn't it? But yeah. I, I actually feel like the. The next point, the next point is the one that, on the day, told you the story of the mm. match because they both did what they do. Yeah, and Djokovic wins that point against everybody on the planet. Yeah, and yet still, when that passing shot was hit, <laughs> Alcaraz does a lunge stick volley. Oh. Oh. The only somebody with the fastest twitch movements and racket control and athleticism could handle. Mm. And you don't do that unless you're 20 years old and, and as good as him. Yeah, yeah. because Novak Djokovic was absolutely locked in in this game. He was making, making the returns. And he, as David said, he hits, he hits the shot that he pretty much invented, right? That's that sort of full-stretch backhand mm. sliding into it, which... From a defensive position, he manages to make an offensive shot and he gets it cross-court, he gets it low. And Alcaraz just appears out of nowhere <laughs> and with the softest, out of nowhere. <laughs> the softest hands hits it for a winner. And everybody says, all the ex-pros tell us that when you're tight and you're nervous and your arm turns to lead, the, the touch yeah. is what goes. Blows my mind that he had yeah, that yeah. touch in that moment. And it, 
P.S. He also made six out of six first serves serving for the match. And Djokovic made all but one return yeah. off those yeah. first serves. And that tells you everything. I want to watch that game over I don't game think over Djokovic could have done any more today. No. I don't think he can have any regrets. No, I think that there may be some spells when he will probably think he might have served better, but the wind was a factor and, and so forth. But he's a human being. And he was facing that. Alcaraz, when we came into this match, I always had the feeling that if he could play his very best tennis, he could just beat Djokovic, regardless kind of what of what Djokovic does. Because I've always felt that, ever since I first saw Alcaraz. But to actually see it with your own eyes on Wimbledon centre court, with all the pressure, and after Djokovic has won the first set, having been five love up, and there being a tie-break in there, that Djokovic doesn't win. That's the part I never thought would be doable, just mentally. How can you cope with all that and still still produce this level enough to win? I thought it was quite telling that Novak Djokovic mentioned that final game in the on-court interview afterwards. He was like, mm. wow, you played really well in that final game. Almost as though he was a bit sort of shocked and surprised by it. And he, he was... And, and, and impressed. And he was really respective, yeah. respectful of it, wasn't he? Almost like... You know, it was almost as though he thought, "Okay, I, I didn't get the break back earlier in the set, but I'll get it when you're serving it out." You know, because that's just what I do to people. But actually, you stepped up there, and there was nothing else that I could do. It was, it was, it was a game respecting game sort of mm. moment. Yeah, I felt 100%. like. Mm. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tie break or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with Legends of the Game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription.
So there he is, a Wimbledon champion, presumably a 24 embroidered jacket, sits in a bag somewhere mm. feeling sad and about to collect some dust. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it does. Because about to... Yeah. I mean, it collects some dust for a few months before it gets worn in yeah. somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. I mean, his agent has had a good run of just uh, <laughs> taking out yeah. the, the the jacket with the number on and it being absolutely what's required in the moment. And I'm sh- quite sure there was one prepared today. Um, and I'm okay with that. I, I I just feel as though we saw sport at its best today. We saw somebody bringing his 23 Grand Slam title level to the table again, and just having it wrestled out of the way by a young lad who's got the goods to beat anybody alive and probably anybody of the past as well so what does it all mean other than Novak Djokovic will be requesting that Brad Pitt not attend any of his further (laughs) matches because apparently he was there in New York for the final in 2021 as well oh Oh, really Mm. oh he's on the blacklist (laughs) (laughs) oh dear We weren't sitting a few rows behind him that day, m- monitoring his bathroom breaks. But yeah, that's that's what I that's what I'm told. What does it all mean for Djokovic, for Alcaraz, for men's tennis, for the 24 record, for a calendar slam? Can he possibly create another opportunity to do the calendar slam again? It feels very, very difficult for him to do that. I mean, we know he always starts the year so well in Australia. So that always sort of sets him up to have a good year, I think. And look, he still still feels like the guy to beat Novak Djokovic. I know that Carlos Alcaraz has has won this, but, you know, (laughs) Novak Djokovic has won 23 of these. He's the reigning French and uh, Australian Open champion took an extraordinary effort today from Carlos Alcaraz and you know I wouldn't be at all surprised if they're in the US Open final in seven or eight weeks time and honestly I hope they are because right now they're playing at a different level to everyone else and I want to see as many matches between them as we can in this window where they're both playing well and I guess for Alcaraz what does it mean well honestly the first thing that came to mind was like gosh like he's won Wimbledon before he's won the French Open (laughs) like that's mad to me like everyone (laughs) like you would have thought that clay would be the surface that he is it his weakest weakest surface surface. (laughs) genuinely it might be and look Nadal is the youngest guy to win the career slap Alcaraz has got four years to win the French Open and the Australian Open to to be younger than Rafa Nadal to do it and it just feels like yep. he probably will do that yep, that's that is happening. that Health is, that is absolutely crazy he is so good I, I tell you what I think about the calendar slam for Novak Djokovic I think unless Carlos Alcaraz gets injured Novak Djokovic is not winning the calendar slam because that would require him to do better than Carlos Alcaraz in all four Grand Slams mm. when Carlos Alcaraz is fit. And I, I think they could easily play each other four times in the year, for instance, and win two each. Or he might win three out of four. But I don't think he beats Alcaraz four out of four now. 
mm. having seen what I've seen today and having with Alcaraz now knowing how that he can beat him and I think I think the thing about all the players who've won sort of 20 plus slams is you never never necessarily would have thought that the last one they won would have been their last mm. do you know what I mean like when when Federer got to 20 at Australian Open 2018 it felt possible that he would win more and when Rafael Nadal got there last year at the French Open we were all sort of talking about the calendar slam and it it felt possible that he had another French Open in him so you never quite know when it is the end this is is absolutely it my my next question was going to be is there any chance and I know it feels unlikely but is there any chance this is a Serena Williams situation where she was reaching finals we all assumed it would happen eventually because she's reaching finals. She's so good. She's obviously the greatest of all time. It's a formality that she will actually achieve that record on paper. And it didn't happen. Are we, we going to have another player haunted by the number 24? Is that what we're Yeah, that that's we're my saying? question. Yeah. I, I still think Novak Djokovic will win that another slam but we thought the same but about we, Serena exactly and as I've so just said chance, we thought the same there? there's a chance there has to be a chance I just think with Djokovic I think if he'd been beaten by Alcaraz at the French he accepts that he's gutted obviously mm. but he accepts that it's the French Open this is the place where he has more mm. edge and, on anyone else and he said that on court as well he said it in a jokey way yeah but I think there was a real point there he said I thought I was going to have a problem with you yeah. on clay and on hard courts but I thought I would still be able to beat yeah. you on grass I still think I still think he will obviously because Alcaraz is one guy and we've seen this yeah. week we've seen pretty much all the weeks really we know the gap between Alcaraz and Djokovic to the rest is enormous and Alcaraz can't win everything he can't <laughs> do you think Alcaraz okay. is just going to win everything here's the thing I still think injuries are a, a big question mark here. Alcaraz has already missed an Australian Open at his tender years. He's already had some injury issues. And I think there has to be a chance that he gets another injury in the next couple of years, maybe longer, that stops him playing like this or makes him miss Grand Slams. I really hope that doesn't happen. Is there not also a chance, though, that Djokovic at 36 years of age... Of course, yeah. I mean, I, I just feel as though he's missed so few, in certainly in recent years, um, and he looks in such good physical condition, he kind of knows when to push and when not to, and I'm not sure that Alcaraz does yet. If Alcaraz plays, he pushes, so he's going to really need some managing in that way. But what I would say, in response to your is this a Serena moment, if Alcaraz is fully fit for every single Grand Slam... I mean, he could win them all. I mean, for the next three years. <laughs> 12 slams in a row. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who else is... Who's Come be, on. Who's the triple calendar slam if, is if he's on. fully fit. If, he, if he's fully fit. <laughs> yeah, but we've... Look, you felt this way about everybody, but I'm sure you felt that way about Federer at one time during his dominant years. And I mean, he, aside from the French Open, he did. He won them all for years. Like, there was a period where he was winning three a year. 
And there's only yeah, Nadal I, who could stop him. I think, yeah, I could see him winning three a year. I think that's very possible. He could win there's three a, a year, reason, but 12 in a row. There's a reason not <laughs> even Djokovic has done a calendar slam. I know, but this kid's 20, and he's better than all of them other than Djokovic. And now he's beaten Djokovic, who's 36, <laughs> and Alcaraz is going to get better. It's just whether he gets injured or not. Okay, so you think... Alcaraz stays fit. He wins the next 12 slams. Is that the prediction? David. It really sounds like it might be. I mean... <laughs> you tell me who he's going to beat him. Yeah, but, like, things happen, don't they? I know. Like I said, he might get injured. No, but, no, like, but what he if will his cat dies matches. the night before a match? Yeah, no, <laughs> but, but here's what happened with Federer in the early years. Once he'd cracked it, and then once he'd won the Australian Open, um, he just suddenly got the hang of it. Like, it just mm. became a knack. How do you win Grand Slams? It's a knack. I don't, I don't, it looked like he didn't even pay need to try <laughs> at times to beat people. I mean, all credit to Andy Roddick for pushing him in that 2004 Wimbledon final. But then he goes and just destroys Leighton Hewitt in two six-love sets. Mm. Then he goes and wins, you know, OK, Barrett Safin got him. But look at the level people were having to play to stop him. Oh, I think he'll he'll take that level of stopping. I just think we know what happens, don't we? He, it, there will be a lag, but Alcaraz will pull people up behind him eventually. Yeah. But maybe there'll be a three-year lag. But maybe he, there'll be twelve slams worth of lag. So good. He's so much better than them. I can't wait for the text from David to say, "Did I really predict Alcaraz to win twelve slams in a row on the live show?" <laughs> yeah, we are live, David. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> you know, I'm just trying to ask Can myself I, the um, question. It's like when you're saying how long's the match going to be, and I'm saying it's going to be five sets. I've got a couple just, more. How's it not going to be? I've got a couple more questions, <laughs> opportunities for you, David, to say very clippable things. Quite frankly, so do do carry well, maybe on. Maybe I could just go quiet. Um, <laughs> That's also a good but idea. But first, I do just want to point out that we know the women's doubles final is going on Matt has it on his screen at the moment I've got the live scores we know it's a belter Um, we're hoping to get the result of it into this show it might mean staying on air a bit longer but uh, Shea Suwei and Barbora Stritzova the most incredible story this is Stritzova's last Wimbledon it might very well be Shea's as well although I hope not because we love Suwei Shea Um, they're taking on Elisa Mertens and Storm Hunter who led with a break early and it's Shane Stritzover who ended up taking that opening set 7-5 in soon-to-be-out-of-date tennis news if people are uh, listening to this as a podcast. But um, we're on it. We'll keep you posted. Right. More opportunities for David to... You, in, the, in the preview pods, David, you were all, oh, no, I need to keep sleeping on it. I don't want to don't put my neck on the line. And now... Well, I will you remind extra you. Thanks God for on the line. Who who were we with when we went across the table? And I just and you were all saying, "Oh no, that joke." And I said, well, "Not sure, not sure." I feel like that's revisionist history, David. Um, you definitely predicted Novak. I did, Ovechkin but I did. I was the one who did question the uh, the possibility there. Um, look, it's this result. It's this performance. Matt said it. I agree with him. Carlos Alcaraz is better than. I thought better than he thought, and it's not just the tennis. The standout moments, the the the, the, the highlight reel stuff we knew about. Doing it on grass is a revelation. Doing it against that guy is a revelation. But it's the moments when it matters. It's the moments when you have to show you're a champion and that you've got it. That you've got that thing that you need. And he's he's shown he's got it. 
what does this do a slightly more medium range what does it mean question what does this do for Novak Djokovic at the US Open and his motivation because the calendar slam is off now Great and that question. must be crushing but 24 is still on mm. but 24 you can do any time you know <laughs> within reason well no because our crisis is winning the next 12 so <laughs> <laughs> sure obviously this question is irrelevant Djokovic come back when he's 40 <laughs> <laughs> um, but what do we are we expecting Novak Djokovic to be able to refine that hunger for this it's a US great Open, question. I think it's a big ask. I do, uh, and because he's not had a great record at the US Open relative to his other Grand Slam wins. Okay, you accept it on clay because of Nadal, because it's not as one he's as dominant on. But to have won the same number at the US Open as he has on clay, I think is a bit of a surprise, really. Yeah, he's got a really bad finals record in New York he, like, he's reached quite a lot of finals there I want to say nine and I think he's only won three that, that's off the top of my head but... that's me saying he's got a bad record he's reached nine finals <laughs> no, but, but that's I mean, really unusual but, I mean, he's got relatively, a great finals record yeah. everywhere else yeah. um, that is an anomaly I mean it, it makes me even more excited about the US Open what does it do for Djokovic I agree. It could go one or two ways. It, it really could. I, I always expect him to bounce back. You know, that's that's what he's done so well throughout his career. Refine motivation. I really do think he is motivated by trying to beat these younger players. You know, and now I think we can basically create a, even if you know, we probably could have done already, but we can basically create a new category altogether. I think he's going to be very motivated to try and beat Carlos Alcaraz. Yeah, agreed. And mm. get some kind of revenge. Like I think, yeah. I think that will be his motivation. And God, I mean, I, I hope he is motivated for that because I want to. I want to see. I want to see them play again. But to do that, he'll have to get better, right? Because Alcaraz ain't getting worse. Well, can I, Novak Djokovic get better? I, I, see, I'm not convinced about that because I think if the level he's playing right now, he was right. He with could it. have won that match today. Yeah, it, yeah it, he it's, done. it's so borderline. If he can play like that, he will win some of them. I think the interesting thing is, I think the U.S. Open doesn't suit him as well. It's very soon. Um, I think he will be motivated. He'll, but but he won't be. He won't have the same comfort level that he'll have in the Australian Open. Yeah. That's almost the one I'm looking forward to the most. Because mm. again, he's come. Alcaraz has come onto his turf here and beaten him. What if he went to Australia? Yeah, and beat him? that's a great and now, point. Djokovic ain't going to allow that um, um, <laughs> unless he possibly just has no say in it. Properly played an Australian Open, right? Since he became the famous Carlos Alcaraz, because he missed. <laughs> This year's, yeah. you don't know what really know what Alcaraz at the Australian Open looks like. I'm going to assume quite good. I'd have thought so. <laughs> <laughs> that that match he played against Berrettini, where he lost in five, was probably oh. the first moment I really saw grown-up Carlos Alcaraz. Mm. He was 18 at the time. He was 18, but he looked like a man, you know. And yeah. Berrettini, a big strapping bloke, suddenly found him a massive handful. Um, and I, I was. That's when I became. I know you'd been excited about him for a lot longer than me, but that was the moment that really made me think. Oh my word, we've got something on our hands here. My um, 
My last slightly facetious question about this is Andy Murray was in the stands watching that match with Laura Robson for, for large portions of it. Honestly think that might induce him to retire. <laughs> Honestly think... Like what if you're Jill Seymour style yeah, watching honestly, that and announcing his retirement? Watching that, I, I mean, on other <laughs> surfaces, I know what you mean. Um, on this surface, I actually think Andy Murray was playing so well. He was. He could have had a but not that run. well. Okay, not that well. That's what I mean. Like <laughs> I think seeing he, that on centre court on his surface. I love the fact that know. he's the last bloke who did it to Djokovic yeah, on that so court great that 10 years there. earlier. Mm. Um, and I don't think that's why he was there in a sort of no. ceremonial kind of way. I think no. he's he just, just wanted, a tennis fan. He, he wanted, wanted to see it. it. He wanted to be I part of that. it. I love that. He was very low-key about it. Um, but There was a uh, line that uh, apparently Roger Federer hit with Carlos Alcaraz before the 2019 Wimbledon final here. And... Oh. Federer wow. couldn't, you know, Federer couldn't finish the job that day against uh, Novak Djokovic. Five sets, had two match points, sliding doors moment in tennis history, and it's the guy he was hitting with before that match who has managed to finish the job. And who did Novak Carlos Djokovic. Alcaraz hit with today? His younger brother, ahead of the final. No, he hit with his older brother. His older brother. <laughs> I think the ship might have sailed for him. <laughs> <laughs> but the younger one is really young. The younger one is is yeah. So Alcaraz is a middle box. child. Yeah, yeah. Jaime is his uh, younger younger brother who Do was in the box. Do you know his older brother's name? Can't remember. Some something Spanish. Yeah. Can we some... go to the US Open now? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> day, hasn't it? Oh, oh my. just think of the hype, though. Think of the next six weeks of hype we've got after I've had all of them. <laughs> But I mean, seriously. I can think of the next six weeks oh, of hype we've got. I can't wait. I, I feel, you know, there was, such a, there was such a down feeling after the French Open match between them. Yeah. You know, we, would, we we'd waited so long for that match. And, you know, we had, we had two great sets, but very often it's how it finishes is what you remember. And today we got what we knew we could get between Alcaraz and Djokovic. Oh, there was a moment when I was looking at Alcaraz very closely. <laughs> at the end of that you were, weren't set. you? Yeah, because he kept stretching a little bit, and then there was a moment where he just sort of went like this, like looking at his hand, and I'm just thinking, this is what he did at the end of the second set in Paris. He was so panicked. He t- he um, tweeted, "Expert cramp spotter Andy Roddick <laughs> for confirmation." I wanted to know, Andy. Is there anything you're seeing here that makes you think that one of these two is about to cramp? And he goes, "No, I am not seeing that." And I was like, oh, phew. Okay. We're okay. Yeah. What do like people like Stefanos Tsitsipas and Alexander Zverev, who were supposed to be it, were supposed to steal the crown, what do they think watching that? I mean, obviously, part of that is imposed by other people, you know, us, media you know but they thought it but too. they thought it too but i mean sure they don't you know, see tennis the way we do i don't though. think Stephanus they do thinks he's as good as this i don't think he, he does was, anymore. he was on he a boat or something with paula balasa content dropped during the middle of the match i think alexander zverev thinks he's pretty much up there with this lot 
No, he does I think he does, deep down. He might he might do the self-deprecating, I can't beat these guys. Yeah, Zverev does. But I reckon they think that they're as good as this. Rublev doesn't. <laughs> he, he, <laughs> knows. Problem. he knows. I know, and place. I'm like, I know this is, you know, no one can please me, right? Because I want Rublev <laughs> to have more self-belief and I want Zverev to realise you're not Runa as good as that. thinks he can beat these guys. You know? Rune, yeah. yeah Rune is closer than Zverev is, though. And Rune is still in... We don't know how good Rune can be yet. I feel like Sitsipas and Zverev are, should be in their peaks, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a big gap between Alcaraz and Rune, though. Oh. A big gap. Huge. Huge. Yeah. And particularly, we're now getting into, there's a big, big gap at the slams. Yeah. Like, Carlos Alcaraz is learning to play slams on the job. And, and honestly, <laughs> like, he hasn't even figured it, fully figured it out yet. <laughs> I mean, good and luck, honestly, so, some of those players that you've mentioned, Tsitsipas, Zverev, that sort of generation, I think sometimes sort of excuses have been made for them, like, oh, well, they didn't, you know, they don't play that much five-set tennis, and mm. they're coming up against guys like Nadal and Alcaraz, um, Alcaraz Nadal and Djokovic and Federer, who have, yeah. who have played so much five-set mm. tennis. Alcaraz is making making that redundant as well because mm. he's you know he hasn't played that much five set tennis he's only plays it at the slams ever and he's able to to come up with that you know you, you've got it or you haven't and Alcaraz has you, got it he just, might have got everyone else's as well yeah. like he might have just sort of whatever it is he's yeah. his love got of all it all is, is a big part of why I think he'll be so successful again health permitting I have just remembered why he won't win 12 in a row <laughs> Nadal's playing the French Open this year. <laughs> so, that's not happening. Wow. David, that is... Wow. <laughs> shall we... I want to go to Paris, Shall, we, shall we talk about what else has happened today? By the way, it is break points to Shea and Stritzover. It is 7-5-2-1. Hunter and Merton serving at 1-2-15-40. We'll keep you posted, folks. Um, a lot else has happened, incredibly, besides the men's singles final today. There was absolute heartbreak for Alfie Hewitt um, in the wheelchair men's singles final. He'll have to wait another year to have a chance at the career slam. Got thoroughly beaten today, 6-4-6-2 by 17-year-old Takito Oda, who's just completed the channel slam, having become the youngest ever slam champion in the men's at the French Open. Now he's winning Wimbledon and... I mean, there are, there are parallels to be drawn, aren't there? It's only going to get harder for Alfie Hewitt. Yeah, I, 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 I've kept thinking. I saw Alfie Hewitt and Gordon Reid win that, that doubles yesterday. and But regarding the singles, I thought this is such a great chance for him now. Takita Oda looked tired yesterday. Alfie Hewitt looked great. And, I, I mean, I didn't get a chance to see the match because of other work I had to do at the time. But it is only going to get harder, and, and Oda has just got that look about him as though he's gonna, he's gonna just start mopping up these yeah, grandstands. Seventeen, I mean, yeah, he is absolutely unreal. Um, in the quad wheelchair singles final, twenty-year-old Niels Vink. There's definitely this. It's the next gen, isn't it? If uh, if the wheelchair event, <laughs> the windy is causing problems. <laughs> You guys sort that out. 20-year-old Niels Vink won the quad wheelchair singles final for the loss of just three games over Heath Davidson. It's his fourth Grand Slam singles title, his first at Wimbledon, 
and it means that he's now just an Australian Open away from a career slam at 20 years of age. So that's going to be fun seeing him play in Australia. Didier de Groot and Jiska Griffin won the women's wheelchair doubles title. They beat KG Montagnier and Yui Kamiji 6-1-6-4. Great Britain have their first boys singles champion since 1962. 17-year-old unseeded Henry Searle 6-4-6-4 over Yaroslav Demin. Um... It's an interesting one, this, because he's not a name that we have heard bandied around. Great Britain, I'm sure other tennis nations, are always desperately looking around for their next great hopes, right? And anybody that shows even the slightest sign of that kind of promise, you tend to hear their names uttered over and over. I think the first time I heard Emma Adekanu's name, she was probably 12 or 13. She was marked out as that kind of talent that early, I haven't really heard Henry Searle's name. No, this I, is a John McEnroe out of nowhere <laughs> thing, and it's yeah. really fun. Yeah, it's great. I mean, from a British perspective, and we do obviously take a close interest. I think I've heard his name, but I don't. I haven't felt any hype really mm. until now. Maybe that'll be really good for him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and honestly, winning it. Like he's kind of gone under the radar even today mm. because, yeah. because of what happened on Centre yeah, they, Court. They, his press conference in the main room was called when Alcaraz had just won the second set tiebreak. Mm. Tough, yeah. tough. The girls' single title was won by 16-year-old Clervy Ngunu, 6-2-6-2. She's a, a real talent. I've heard her name a lot. This was her first Grand Slam singles title. She won the... Grand Slam doubles title, the girls in Paris, I think. She beat 17-year-old Nicola Bartunkova, the one who uh, upset Alina Korneva in the previous round. So that is definitely a name to watch out for in the future. In the women's doubles final, uh, Shea and Stritzova did get that break. They are now leading 7-5-3-1-40-30, two games away. We do want to get the result of that in to the show. So I open it up for thoughts and feelings about Wimbledon 2023. It's been great. <laughs> it's been awesome. Um, I mean, at first start, I've absolutely loved doing this every mm. night. It's been an absolute treat, to be honest, to sit around a picnic table with you two and Matthew and have a couple of drinks and talk to everybody who's watching this stream and listening to the podcast i mean i can't i can't really think of anything i'd rather be doing um you know and calling it work but the tournament as, it, as a whole as well just the, the weather was a bit of a bummer um you know <laughs> yeah. we've had a few and, and actually i'm not particularly liking the great clouds up above at the moment um but you know let's, hold, let's, yeah. hold, let's hold on um I, th- I think it's been a great tournament, just with some amazing stories, um, some surprising ones. You know, when you think of Von Drusova winning, when I really would not have called that at all, um, and an Alcaraz winning in the manner that he has. Yeah. Amazing. Like, I uh, worked out today that the two champions here Vondrosheva and Alcaraz between them had won six matches on grass in their careers before the start of this grass court season 
Our there's, quest. there's not a stat tomorrow. There's not a newsletter tomorrow. So we just had to get out of it. That would have been your stat, that right? I think so. I mean, our quest had won four on grass, and Von Drosheva came into this grass court season having won two. Like, that is a joke. Experience is clearly overrated because. Those two. And all four of those wins for Alcaraz were Wimbledon last year, right? No, uh, he'd won one. One, one um, fourth round in last 2021. Year. Right. Yeah, and three last year. Yeah, absolutely ridiculous. That I mean, it was obviously a massive surprise that Marketa von Drosheva won, won Wimbledon. It's a, it's a surprise that Carlos Alcaraz won, I think, you know, given the dominance of Novak Djokovic. But obviously, Alcaraz was more... All, more highly tipped than Marketa von Drosheva. But yeah, between them, so little experience as the as the rain comes down on us. Keep talking, keep talking. <laughs> yeah. Um, and honestly, I, I had this really sort of... I don't know whether this is a, a sort of too deep thought or a, just a totally ridiculous thought, but as I, as I sort of look at the grass behind us and how it's got a lot of wear and tear and it, and it needs a lot, of, a lot of repair and, you know... I always think about how when Roland Garros finishes, you just sweep the clay and you're on to the next event. And so quickly Wimbledon follows. I almost think, I really think of Roland Garros and Wimbledon as a double. It's such an intense time in the tennis season. And the grass now needing a bit of repair. I think, I think everyone after Wimbledon needs a bit of repair. We, just, we, just, we can't just sweep it away and be on to the next thing. I mean, there will be tennis events next week. Of course there will. Because Common Cup starts in three days. Because <laughs> tennis never stops. But I, I just think this is a point in the calendar where it's sort of time for everyone to sort of reset before the, the sort of madness of the US swing. Because that is, a, that is a crazy, high-octane, very fun time. But right now, I just think everyone sort of feels a bit like the grass behind us. Just, just in need of the need of a need bit of, of repair. a week watching the ashes <laughs> and the open yeah although there are people around these parts that go straight from wimbledon to the open yeah that is a thing that happens and we salute you everybody that is doing that we also salute ourselves because we are sitting here broadcasting in full rain right now <laughs> matthew's got himself an umbrella matthew's sorted himself <laughs> right out you don't worry about us matthew we are fine my laptop's fine don't worry not an expensive piece of equipment at all nor is matt's um look we are in territory here where we might need to get this show off the road before the women's doubles finals finished finishes we do have a review show of this grand slam as we do for every grand slam exclusively for friends of the tennis podcast i i promise you this wasn't a ploy to try and get more of you to sign up as friends um we were going to stay on air but really is raining quite heavily now and matthew has acquired the only umbrella um and we will be recording that grand slam that wimbledon review show in the next couple of days and that will be up and available exclusively for friends of the tennis podcast we all give our slightly more considered thoughts after the benefit of a couple of days reflection on the fortnight and we also get voice notes from some incredible contributors just hold just hold in for a couple more minutes guys um Perfect. What a, what a Sorry, perfect just... way to finish. <laughs> I also just really enjoyed uh, some slightly more considered thoughts with a look at David after he predicted our crest to win yeah, David will have the opportunity to either double down <laughs> so or, or he's going to take a long, hard look at himself in the mirror and or we'll see where we end up. In two days' time, we've got to actually talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe 12 was, you know, cutting him short. He's actually going to predict him to win... 
16. What a thought. <laughs> what a thought. So, yeah, look, for Friends of the Tennis Podcast, we will be back with a review show in a couple of days' time. We also have a Q&A show that will be going up in the next few days and weeks. We have a Tennis Relive show that is in the works. David did an extraordinary interview with Kim Clijsters for that show this morning. He also got a voice note that we'll be using for our review show of this slam, but mostly it was focusing on our upcoming tennis relived episode which focuses on kim clijsters so you'll be getting that as friends of the tennis podcast on our main feed we have a max eisenbud in interview agent extraordinaire and yeah. I, I know that's not necessarily a big name to people outside the tennis world but trust me that is a yeah. really interesting different take on how things operate behind the scenes yeah, I mean, in agent tennis. to maria sharapova emma raducanu mm. lena i mean these are this is somebody who's been a, a significant figure in the sport for 20 years yeah it is it's a really fascinating episode and that'll be up on our main feed monday the 24th of july if you'd like to become a friend of the tennis podcast the link to do that is in our show notes you'll be getting access to all of that incredible bonus content Bocco and uh, you'll also be supporting us year round doing what we do and what we so love to do and we are great, very grateful for everybody that does that we have our Wimbledon mascot Erin Erin right, you've been a treat, I loved your Instagram post earlier, you are a fluffle, fluffy bundle of joy and we appreciate you, we have our mascots David has Maisie right, Maisie, we won it all We won it. We, we, we did the double the predictions and King of the 90s. Are you sure about that? I mean, I what? think you're right, but one of our predictors did have uh, Alcaraz in five, but maybe not enough points this to overtake you. This is going to be you. amazing if David's no. wrong. No. It's like when somebody celebrates at, <laughs> when they reach seven in a match tie break. Yeah. <laughs> I checked the points. Okay, Thank David's right. Of course he did. Of course he did. David I've got Xenia. We performed respectably for once, Xenia. Matt's got Darwin. We did not perform respectably. I'm sorry, Darwin. Absolutely terrible tournament. Billie Jean watched the full four hours, 42 minutes of the final today. Well done, Billie Jean. She is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss, who also watched all four hours, 42 minutes of the final today from the Royal Box we have our top folks and executive producers Jamie, Hannah and Drew thank you to you and Matt we have shout outs we have Natalie Hawin who uh, has completed the Spectator Grand Slam oh, oh good work one of my well, favourite things like Natalie Deshi and Natalie Tozia yeah very good she came up in a, um, a King of the 90s quiz didn't she yeah when I was at my lowest ebb because I, I got that that bit wrong. That was your your six one first set, wasn't yeah, it? it was, yeah, yeah. yeah. But then yeah. I bounced back. Yeah, though. then I fought back spectacularly and heroically. <laughs> Thank you, Didn't Natalie. I, no, no, I should have kept quiet with that. Oh yeah, that was yeah. that that was a real moment actually in. Because he would have got it wrong. <laughs> oh, I didn't know, did I? In King of the Nineties, basically one of the questions was going to be, uh, when did number one court? You know, the new number one call open at Wimbledon. This was the sliding doors this moment. This was the sliding doors 90s. moment. And I asked Matthew the question first. And he told me that it was disrespectfully easy <laughs> to my face. <laughs> so That was a real rookie error. Yeah. So I changed the question on the spot and, and turned it into who played the first match on, on the new, new number one call. 
David admitted after winning King of the 90s by one point that he would have got that question about when the new number one court opened, he, he would have got it wrong. He would have said, what, 99? 99. Instead of 97. So, so it's, it's a hollow victory. <laughs> it's not. It's it's not. Hollow victory is what Matthew yeah. says, yeah. 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 That's the sort of thing... Karma, that, Matthew. That's the sort of thing that people who lose say. <laughs> <laughs> I've enjoyed King of the 90s so much. Thank you, Natalie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Natalie, yeah. I forgot that. Uh, we've... All, I'm just trying to, you know, see if Shay and Spritzker have time to <laughs> win the women's doubles. Oh, look, it. it's stopped training. Although yes. that is the greyest, dirtiest cloud just, I've ever seen. Just, <laughs> just press on. They've broken back. Oh, no. Germans. Okay. Yeah. We'll cover it in the review yeah, show, we, we I will. promise. We, we will, will give them their dues. We will cover it. Uh, I've got it on my laptop right here. It's a bit distracting. We've also got uh, Sepa Momart. Ooh. Wow. Sepa actually says... Sepa is pronounced just like the first part of separation. Don't even bother with my last name. Well, I tried. Okay, well, thank you for, for your help. A bit like Andrea Seppi. Yes, I thought that as well. A bit right. like. Yeah. yeah. That's the closest we're going to get. Well, the first part of his name is also like separation. Yeah. Yes. So. Absolutely. Yes. Well, Sepa, thank you so thank much you for being much, a friend Sepa. of the tennis podcast. We really appreciate it. And finally, we've got Rishi Kanna. Who we, who we know. We met Rishi, we Rishi. at uh, Indian Wells. Aww. Rishi stopped us for a photo on day one. He did. Yeah. He was wearing he was a tennis first, podcast he T-shirt. He sort of eased us into the meet and greet. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And, then, us, and then he showed up to the meet and greet. Yeah, which yeah. Was lovely. he made us think that actually there isn't going to be just a complete lack of people there <laughs> yeah. who don't give two hoots that we're around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thank Rishi, you, Rishi is lovely. That's yeah. much appreciated. Cheers, Rishi. Thank you. I have some more thank yous, if you'll allow me this indulgence, because they are very, very important. This has been a really incredible two weeks for the Tennis Podcast. We've done something we've never done before with these live YouTube shows. We've still been a podcast, and we're very grateful to everybody that has still listened as a podcast. But it's been... It's been something new and fun and unknown for us to be doing this. And honestly, we have... Well, actually, I haven't consulted with Matt and David on this. (laughs) But I have absolutely loved it. Live TV presenting is my favourite thing in the world, along with tennis. You're bloody good at it. Various other things. And get it... I love Tim Henman. I love Greg Brzezinski. I love every, every pundit that I've ever had the privilege of getting to, to work with I really do but getting to do it with you two with my two best friends is the absolute best thing in the world and I've absolutely loved it that's a lovely thing to say and it's mm. been an absolute treat for me I know that yeah <laughs> me too and I Matthew was, and Matthew over there <laughs> You're, you're next on the, you're next on the list, Matthew. But yeah. you've really made it. Up I was going to say something really nice, but Matthew's killed the moment. <laughs> you're next on on the list after thanking Wimbledon for <laughs> making this possible. I say put him at the bottom. <laughs> yeah, you are actually yeah. getting demoted. Yeah, you're going to be relegated. Um, I mean, I was going to say I was you know I was pretty anxious about doing live shows on YouTube, but I felt in in very safe hands with you David and you Catherine so thank you very much and thank you to Wimbledon for supporting us for giving us this incredible position for giving us umbrellas and towels <laughs> when we very unfortunately <laughs> needed them us when our for providing me work. with the most ergonomic chair to sit on oh, yeah. honestly mm. I'm going to be making inquiries about where to get one of these chairs thank you Wimbledon and the All England Club for supporting us 
in this we're um we're very grateful and if it's not clear we have absolutely loved it um thank you to hannah for her stellar work on not only on twitter but also on the youtube live chat moderating that engaging with that just doing all the wonderful work that hannah does she's the greatest we can't imagine doing these grand slams without you hannah she's a special talent and we're very very lucky to get to work with her i mean that goes for everybody that we're going to mention here i can't believe the people we get to work with to woolly over in guernsey who we get to work with remotely as well it is we've known woolly for so long she was one of the very first people i met working in tennis when david gave me work experience and, and, and the log has taken off the log has taken off and oh, for that that's, 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 an umbrella. <laughs> that's just <laughs> flown across out, the Matthew. you're going to be deleted from the list altogether in a moment um yeah thank you to woolly and to andrew who have done the logs this week there's been a bit of competition between them woolly does a very beautiful handwritten log with doodles Mm. in in it looks like it's written in a quill and ink and andrew does extremely efficient um digital documents Mm. and both are excellent both are excellent in their own ways and andrew and willie we love you we love them same goes for gorana our incredible designer we have had so much extra design work on our hands because of this crazy venture that we embarked on these past couple of weeks and Gorana takes it all in her stride and does incredible work and we couldn't do it without you Gorana to get the images for giving us access to their their archive that's incredible to our guests this fortnight Simon Briggs Charlie Eccleshare Pam Shriver Andrew Cotter you made this second week it's been an absolute pleasure to have you to our newsletter predictors Matthew and Lynn we have doing that all year and they were joined this tournament by Kevin James and Will thank you although also thanks but no thanks for letting David win the thing could you not just have been a little (laughs) Mm. bit better but I mean we're also to blame for that true yeah I mean I must say the whatsapp groups that I have with Matthew and Lynn year round is just one of the best things those two have become such close friends through doing the predictions and with all of them during Wimbledon it's such a it's always such a nice vibe and there's lots of banter and just just great great vibes in those whatsapp groups so real big thanks to everyone who uh, who always takes part in our grandstand predictions they really sort of elevate the event they're a very wholesome place those whatsapp groups aren't they sometimes i take i'm i asked to be in the french open Mm. one even though i didn't need to be in it for work purposes (laughs) and i lovely people i quite often take refuge Mm. in it um just sort of spend some time with reggie in there which is always an absolute treat and i think that brings us to the end of our thank yous i'm just going to scroll down no that's it that's (laughs) it for our thank yous Except for Matthew, our incredible, not just cameraman, editor, all round everything. Honestly, I'm I'm a bit sad at the thought that, I mean, it feels like when we got Matt on board for the first time, like, well, of course, how could we ever have been doing this without Matt? We yeah. now feel the same about Matthew. You have absolutely made this for, there he is standing on, making this very hard, Matthew, he's standing an umbrella. While, in the dry. While we're sitting here in the rain. He's got that, can we get off air? Look Even about in spite of that though, <laughs> we absolutely love Matthew, don't we? You said, Matt said something so wonderful about him in a WhatsApp chat earlier in the fortnight. He said, he's just somebody that makes you feel good when he walks into the room. And Yeah. We worked very closely at Queen's for a few years and... I hadn't actually I hadn't actually 
realise how much I'd missed working with Matthew. He's he's one of my favourite people, and he does. He makes me feel good whenever he's around, and he's also incredibly talented mm. and is able to just do things that, with video and camera work that I didn't even know were possible. Mm. And he he always makes us look good. And yeah, I. I love Matthew. He's he's great. Even though he always beats me at tennis, <laughs> he's he's the best. Yeah, hear hear. He's testing limits of that right now. It is pouring with rain. He stood there under an umbrella, but that is a testament to how much we love you, Matthew. And uh, it has been an absolute pleasure. And I think that's it. I think that's it for the show because Barbara Stritzova and Sue Shea have failed to get the job done within their allocated time limit. They are 7-5-5-4, but it's on serve in the second set. Hunter and Mertens are serving 4-5, all, and it is now positively pouring with rain. So we're going to promise to cover that women's doubles final properly in our review show, and that is one last plug for the review show and for becoming a friend of the tennis podcast, which we encourage you to do. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for supporting Uh us this fortnight. I was going to suggest we raise a glass, but... Cheers, bye! Bye! Bye. Bye.